Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, well, good morning. I, uh, I wanted to try and make it through that entire interview and not humble brag that I introduced Eric and Magalie, but I just wasn't able to do it. It's the first thing that came out of my mouth. So I uh, just wanted to point out that, that I made that happen, and you're welcome. And if you want to talk to me later, we're still taking applications for the system. So uh, anyway, uh, when, when, I was, uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I decided that I wanted to play football. And I know that some of you are thinking like, yeah, we know that. We've seen your amazingly athletic body, Mark, and we know that you're a football player. Uh, I'm actually not a football player, and no one from my town is a football player while we're on the subject. Uh, My school was absolutely atrocious, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. I think we went like 40 years and didn't win our league, and uh, I wish that was a joke. It's not. Uh, My junior and senior year, my my school went like a combined 0-20, I think. So we're an awesome football school. So anytime you said, I want to play football at this school, people were like, that's a terrible decision. Are you sure about that? So me and all my soccer playing friends in my class were like, let's play, let's play junior high football this year. So in seventh grade, we went out for the football team. And uh, there's always one guy on the football team who, who seems to be just kind of better than everyone else. He's that guy uh, that hit puberty before everyone. He's taller, he's faster, he's stronger. And he already has like half of a sideburn in seventh grade, which makes him the desire of every girl in the, in the middle school. And so uh, in, in my, on my team, in my grade, that guy's name was Brandon Santangelo. Yes, his name fits his sideburns. He just sounds awesome, right? So Brandon Santangelo was, was that guy who would always just, he was like a middle school football leader. He was always quoting football movies that most of us hadn't seen and like barking and giving us pep talks. And he would literally bark like a dog um, at, at the end of these pep talks and try to get us psyched up. And I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. But he was the pinnacle of middle school school leadership, right? If there's any middle schoolers in the room, I'm sorry. You don't have to bark like a dog to be a leader. But uh, that's, what, that's what Brandon would do as he would, uh, he would draw us into this amazing football culture that we had developed. And uh, I mean this in the nicest way possible when I say that our team was really bad, right? So we started off the season with a loss. We followed it with another loss. We followed it with another loss, followed by three more losses. So we had what we like to call a streak going, the opposite of the Cleveland Windians recently, right? We were just losing everything. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because uh, some of you know there's, a, there's an offensive line, a defensive line in football. There's kind of a mass of people that are there, and they say hi. They all start shoving each other, and, and, and they're all close together, right? And so there's not a lot of room, but there's, there's something that's supposed to happen, right? The line is supposed to block a certain way, open up a hole. Receivers are running fake routes, sometimes as a decoy or whatever, but usually it's so the running back can get through that spot. Well, Brandon Santangelo, although he was awesome and had sideburns, he was getting tackled a lot because our team was terrible. In fact, one of our linemen ran into a stake one time walking up to the field like a a tent stake and tore his ACL. So maybe we didn't have the brightest line in the world, right? Maybe maybe not rocket scientists. These are the guys that are blocking for him. And and one time... uh, (laughs) This guy runs into a tent stake. So anyway, uh, we... The line's just not doing their job. And Brandon starts to realize this, so he started making every play the same play. What he would do is just kind of look at this mass of people and think, I'm not running into that. And he would just do his own thing and, and run around that, right? Maybe you've called that a, a sweep or a halfback pitch or whatever, but, but he just ran one play. He was like, that spot's not open, that hole's not open, that guy's not blocking, I'm doing this. And so over time, our team started to catch on to that, right? And so people are thinking, wait, why am I blocking for this guy if he's just gonna run the wrong way or do what he wants and, and go wherever? And as a receiver, I started thinking, why? 
why am I running these routes? Everyone knows we can't pass, right? And, and over time, the, the team just started to like fall apart, right? We've got linemen not doing their jobs. We've got, we've got running backs not doing their job. Nobody, no one's doing their job. In fact, our quarterback sometimes just stopped calling plays, right? Because it didn't really matter. The play is just where you're supposed to run and we all knew what he was gonna do. So he'd be like, we're gonna hand it off to Brandon, right? And that's what we were gonna do. And it didn't go well. And we were 0-6, if I haven't told you this, right? So, so the final week of the season, our coach comes to us. He was like your, your classic frustrated coach. And he's like, guys, this has been a long season. And he's probably made like 10 cents an hour, right? You know how coaches are paid. And he just said, can we, can we try something this week? He said, can we just try? Will you trust me enough to just do what you're supposed to do? Right? And that started with Brandon. He said, Brandon, will you run where you're supposed to run? He's like, well, I don't know. I want to get hit. He's like, what if I told you that you would get hurt and you would get hit less if you actually ran through the hole that you were supposed to? He's like, line, can you guys do your job? Quarterback, can you call the play? Is that really possible? Can we, can we all do that? And we're like, you know what? This guy's pretty inspirational and we're in middle school and we have nothing better to do and we've lost six games. Let's go for this. Right? And so that week we all decided that we were going to do our job. We were going to do what he asked us to do. We were going to do the right thing and do what we were supposed to do. And guess what happened? A magical thing happened. We raised our record to one and six that night, right? We defeated the mighty Dalton Bulldogs, right? You don't know where that is. It doesn't matter. Maybe you've heard it called Wayne Dalton Garage Doors. It's actually Dalton where I'm from. Okay, so we, we dominated them and it was incredible. It was the greatest seventh grade football game of all time. And I learned something that night, right? That obedience is in my best interest, right? I don't know how to play football. No one there knew how to play football, but there was a guy telling us how to play football, how to work as a team, how to establish a certain culture. And we realized that if we would obey that guy, if we would do what he said, if we would follow his advice, it would probably work out for us. Now, you've never been on a mediocre seventh grade football team, but you've probably learned that principle in some way in your life that obedience is the best decision, right? I mean, you have parents, Yes, most of you still talk to them and like them. And, and when you talk to your parents, at some point in your life, they probably told you things like, hey, don't play in traffic, right? That was a pretty good decision, right? And then there's a, there's a point in your life where, where they said, hey, don't touch the stove when it's hot. And maybe you did and learned that that was a terrible idea, right? And so, and so you learned obedience. And at some point in school, you had someone say, hey, we're not going to let you cheat on this project. They weren't just saying that to complicate your life and make it difficult. They were teaching you work ethic and they were teaching you hard work and your, your parents were shielding you from playing in traffic and getting burned on the stove, right? Oftentimes as people tell you things, as they shape what's happening in your life, as they, as they speak into your life, they're not just saying that to restrict your life or to complicate your life or to make you resent them. They're saying that so you will obey them. And they're not just saying that for fun. They're saying it because obedience to what they're telling you is in your best interest. Some of us, as we were kids, thought, someday I'm not going to be like my parents. I know better than them. I'm smarter than them. I'm going to raise kids different. I'm going to be a completely different parent, a new kind of parent, a super parent that is both an authority figure and cool. And then we had kids and realized that's not possible, right? We, we know that on some level we have to put structure into our kids' lives and we have to say things and just hope that they will obey us. But we don't always feel like obedience is in our best interest. I mean, I mentioned in, in, in school that your, your school would say, hey, don't cheat. And then I, I got to college and I, I just thought, 
why are they telling me that I can't do anything because of fire code? Anything that I want to do in the dorm is a fire code violation and I, I'm not allowed to do it, right? And then you, you get to your job and they, they start telling you like different rules and culture things and you're thinking, I could do this better. I'm smarter than this. I know this. And there's, there's points in our lives that we, we walk away from this principle and we think like, I'm not obeying that. I'm smarter. I know better. I've got a better idea. I, I would obey them if they were telling me to not touch a stove, but I, I can't obey dumb people because I'm smarter than them. Obedience doesn't feel like it's in our best interest. You guys have heard it said that that we're in this this series called Quality Disciple. We're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? A disciple is someone who takes on the DNA of the person they follow and learns to operate and make decisions in the same way. And it's been said that America has a lot of people who attend church, who go to church, who do the right things. But America doesn't have many obedient disciples of Jesus. Last week we talked about this principle. If you owned a chocolate factory and there was an assembly line and at the end of that assembly line you got down there and you were checking the bars of chocolate and they were just empty wrappers, you would probably shut down the line and go back to the process, go back to the beginning and say, what are we missing here? What's going wrong? Why don't these things have substance? Why aren't they turning out like we thought they would? And so this series, the goal of it is just to simply do the same thing, to say, are we really followers of Jesus? Are we really disciples of Jesus? Are we really taking on his DNA? Do our lives look like his? Do our decisions look like his? Are we operating as he would in this world? And a huge, major part of that is our obedience. We've already uh, brought up that topic that obedience is in our best interest. We want to kind of dial down on that more. And so I want us to look at a a passage today and read through this. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there in your Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you've, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can, you can turn there. If you don't, there's probably one under your seat, in front of your seat, behind your seat. There's, there's one on the floor there somewhere, and we put those there because we value God's Word. We value God's Word so much that we would love for you to take that Bible home with you today. If you're in need of a copy of God's Word, something to study, something to read, something to, to just find inspiration throughout the week and, and have a, a moment to, to build your relationship with God, we would love for you to take that copy of God's Word but we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, page 943, verses 1 through 4. I'll read this, and we can just talk about what this means, what obedience looks like in our lives as we're quality disciples and followers of Jesus. It says this, page 943, 1 John 5, 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. There's a, there's a lot to take in there, but I want to just draw our attention to this, this first point. When we, when we think of this topic of obedience... We think of obedience as as being forced to follow rules, but I want you to know something this morning, that it's rooted in love, right? Maybe you're thinking back to that job you hated. Maybe you're thinking back to that teacher you didn't like. Maybe you're thinking back to an awkward clash with your parents or maybe even your, your work culture right now. And we think that when we're called or when we're asked to obey something, that it's this power struggle and we just have to follow certain rules because someone made them up and there's, there's no purpose behind them. But I want you to know that rules and structure are rooted in love. Some of us have kids or loved ones and we would give them a similar pep talk to that, but when we think about our obedience to certain things, we don't don't think of it that same way, right? 
The rules that we don't want to obey can't be rooted in love. I want you to know that they're, they're rooted in love. Your, your parents told you to not play in traffic because they loved you, right? Your parents told you to not touch the stove or to, to drive under the speed limit when you got your license because they love you. Your school wouldn't let you cheat and taught you work ethic because your school cared about you long term. Your college didn't want you to break fire code in the dorm because if there had ever been a fire in the dorm from all the lava lamps, you wouldn't have been able to get out for all the beanbag chairs that you would have tripped over, right? They were only looking out for you. And so obedience is rooted in love. A call to obedience is rooted in love. Rules are not just made up for no reason. Structure is not brought into place for no reason. We're not called to progress as Christ followers and as disciples, and we're not asked to grow for no reason. It's rooted in love. It's rooted in God's love for us. And God's commandments aren't just a bunch of rules, but it's a call to love. And so the things that God asks us to do in scripture, the things that God asks us for from our lives, the steps of faith that God asks us to take are so that we can know and experience and feel his love and so that we can show his love to others so they can experience his love. The things that God asks us to do, the commandments he puts in scripture, the ways that he asks us to be obedient, are a call to love. How do we know that? Because in this passage, it says that we've been fathered by God. This is not some random authority figure, some dean in a college movie who's detached and just wants to foil the fraternity. This is your father who loves you. We're told in, in scripture that, it, that God is our father, that we have taken on his DNA. We are his adopted sons and daughters. We have all the privileges of being in his family and we are fully in his family with his DNA. And so we're no longer people led by our own desires or the desires of other people or the things that the world is telling us to do. We're not led by other powers. We're led by our father and we're led by his love and we're sent by his love. And his love is telling us how to interact with the world and how to impact the world. And if we're fathered by God, it means that, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he says he did. In this moment, in this book, in this passage, in this context, in this time frame, there were a lot of false teachers and people coming into the church, and they were saying, hey, this uh, church thing is good, this Christian thing is good, yeah, yeah, we should be doing good things, but I want you to know something, that, uh, that Jesus guy, he, he didn't actually... No, he's not really the son of God. He's, just, he's a good prophet. I'm a good prophet too. And hey, maybe you should be a part of my church or a part of my cult. And there were people saying that in the church. They were saying, no, that guy's not the son of God. No, he, did, he wasn't sent by God. He didn't give his life for you. He didn't die on a cross. He wasn't raised to life after three days. He didn't defeat sin and death. He didn't do those things, but he's got some good ideas. The things he says make us feel warm and fuzzy. So you should obey them. But, but I want you to know he's, he's not the Christ. And so this, this passage was partially written, this book was written there, figuring out what does it look like to, to turn away false teachers and people who were going against Jesus in the church, and they were given this test. If someone is, is denying who Jesus is and denying his work, you know that they're going against what Scripture says. 
You know that they have no business in the church, and so they were working through that. But if we know who Jesus is, if we know that he's the son of God, if we know that he came out of grace and love to give his life on the cross for you and I, and if we know that by that work, we're able to know God, and we're able to experience the love of God, we're able to have a relationship with God, and we're able to experience life to the fullness We can know that these commandments and these things that we're being asked to obey are not just mindless, but they're a call to love and they're given in love because Jesus is the Christ. We're even told that if God is our father, that we can know that he loves us and we can feel his love and know his love. Some of us have not had the greatest example of a father, but I think many of us in the room could could think back and think, you know what? When my father put structure in my life, when my parents put structure in my life, they were doing that because they cared about me. And so the things that God is asking us to obey, he's doing because he loves us as his children. And so we're called to keep the commandments that are in scripture. Now the audience that's reading this book, this would have been a very, very touchy subject for them because in the New Testament, there were these men called Pharisees and they were the religious people of this day and they were asking a lot of the people who followed them. They had disciples too, right? Just like Jesus had disciples, just like we're disciples of his, the Pharisees had disciples and there were people who would follow them around, who would sit at their feet and listen to their teaching and these Pharisees were asking a a lot of rules. I mean, imagine this morning if we said, hey, you can come to church but uh, you, need to, you need to shower a certain way, and then you need to wear a certain shirt. It needs to have a certain collar, and you need, to, you, need to, you need to sit a certain way, and you need to have a certain posture, and we need you to say these certain words, and then you're good enough to come in the doors of the Hilliard YMCA, right? There were, there were just some religious extras that were being added to being a disciple and to being a Christ follower, and those religious extras were being put into culture. And so the people that would have been reading this passage they would have said, what do you mean these, these commandments or these things that we have to obey aren't a burden? Because they, they would look at religion and they would look at a list of rules and this culture and this stuff and they would say, we have to eat this certain diet. That's a burden. We have to act a certain way. We have to, we have to clean our food a certain way. We have to do all this stuff and it's a burden. It's complicating my life and it just seems extra. And so they would have said, all of this religion stuff It just seems extra. That's what cracks me up when people think that scripture is old and irrelevant because how many times have you had a conversation with someone who thought that religion and all of that stuff just seemed like a bunch of extra stuff? Well, knowing who Jesus is and knowing that we can find life and hope and purpose and belonging in him is not a burden. There are commandments and things we're asked to follow, but they are not a burden at times they may feel like a burden to your old self, but that's probably a a part of you and a piece of you that needs chiseled away anyway as you fully give your life to Jesus. As we follow Jesus, as we look to Jesus, we find freedom, and he promises us that following him is not a burden. And so if it feels like a burden, if it seems like a burden, it's probably a burden to your old nature. It's probably a burden to your sinful self. It's probably a problem to what you used to be. Imagine if you sold a house and the contract was cleared and everything was free and clear and someone called you and said, hey, 
the water line froze and we were on vacation and the whole downstairs filled with water. It's gonna cost about $60,000 to redo the house and you used to own this house so I'm gonna need you to pay for that, right? You would say, okay, let me go get a loan and do that and you'd say, sorry, I don't live there anymore. Might sound like a jerk move but that's what you'd say, right? Be honest, that's what you'd say. Imagine being burdened as your old self, where your old home is, and saying, oh man, I I used to live for myself, and now I have to follow this Jesus guy, and this is really cramping my style, and no, you would just say, that's that's not cramping my style, because that's my old style, that's my own character, that's that's who I used to be, and now I'm, I'm taking steps toward him. This isn't a burden, I'm finding freedom, and purpose, and belonging as I walk toward him. And so I want you to know this, that obedience to the call to love people launches us into conquering the world. We're not being called to be obedient for the sake of just acting a certain way and, and being like, like people who are marching and saying, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. No, he's calling us to change us. And he's calling us to obedience to love those around us and to change the world around us. And we see this in scripture. We see people being loved and being changed by the community and purpose they find in a relationship with Jesus in the book of Acts. We see people being loved and changed as we see a man named Saul becoming Paul. We see a man named Barnabas loving him and investing in him and sending him out into the world to conquer the world. We're not called to obedience and we're not called to love just so we can have something to do. We're called to obedience and we're called to love so that we can be sent to change the world. And so if you would call yourself a Christ follower, if you would call yourself a Christian, you're being called to obedience and love so that you can change and impact the world. Obedience is in our best interest. Here's another way of of saying that. Great moves of God are usually preceded by great acts of obedience. That's kind of fancy. So I want you to think of it this way, maybe. Faith equals obedience equals victory. Right? When we understand who Jesus is, when we understand his love for us, when we understand that we find our belonging and our purpose in living for him, that moves us to obedience. And we're not obeying because we're controlled or because we're mindless or because we want to move up the pyramid scheme of being a Christian, right? We're, we're being obedient because our faith evidences itself in obedience. And as we are obedient, we realize and we live in and we own our victory. We are already victorious because our father is victorious. We're already victorious because our king is victorious and we're his children and we have his DNA, And yet as we're more and more obedient, as we let him speak into our life, as we let him shape us, and as we tweak things, as we let go of things, as we make decisions to follow him and be more like him and change our lives a little bit more each day, we experience victory and we know victory and we rest in victory and we're commissioned into victory and we send others into victory. Yet some of us are like, I don't, I don't feel very victorious. Well, faith equals obedience equals victory. Do you trust that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? One of my favorite passages in scripture 
is Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Faith, and we've talked about it before, but it just lists several large spiritual characters in the Old Testament and the things that they did in faith to show obedience to to God. We're told that Noah, when no one had ever seen rain before, was told, hey, you should build a giant boat because the whole world's gonna flood. And he didn't say, that's crazy, God. I don't know what you're talking about, right? He, He built that boat. He built the ark, and it took a long time and a lot of his family, right? But they did that. Abraham left the security of his homeland when God called him to go to a new place and make him into a nation. And he, he didn't say, well, what's this gonna look like? I need to know every part of this plan. I'm not sure if I wanna do this, God. No, he left and he went. Joseph used his position through a series of ups and downs in his life where God had put him in command of the Egyptian army. He used that during a time of famine to position his family and ultimately the nation of Israel for the future. There's a prostitute named Rahab who helped the nation of Israel come into the promised land that God was going to give them because she had faith and it drove her obedience for what God was calling her to do. There's a guy named David that you've heard of who long before he was a king, God called him to stand up and lead his nation and he killed a giant named Goliath. And Hebrews 11 highlights all of these stories All of these judges, all of these men like David and Samuel and Moses and Joseph and and women of faith like Rahab and all of these stories, people who knew that God was who he said he was and that he would do what he said he would do. And their faith led to obedience and their obedience allowed them to live in victory and experience victory and commission and send others and give others a platform of victory. So to end today, just just one simple question. What is God calling you to do? We can't talk about obedience without asking, what's the request? What is God asking me to do? Here's the best part of this. I'm not gonna tell you what God is asking you to do because I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is in you and is prompting you and is talking to you and has been whispering things and saying things and putting things in your heart and bringing people to mind and he's been asking you to do something and oftentimes we are just not obedient. It might be in our best interest but we don't, we don't wanna be obedient, right? Because we have to exercise faith and we have to do something that we don't wanna do and it's difficult and it complicates our life and it's a burden and there's rules and no, none of those things. Obedience is in our best interest because obedience allows us to live and experience victory. And obedience is not a burden. When we're obedient, we're living in the DNA of our family and our father, and we're living a call to love. And it's not a burden. It's in our best interest because it shapes us and it changes us and it sends us out victorious and it allows us to be victorious. So what is God calling you to do? What is God asking you to do? I'm not the one who put you in that job or put you in that neighborhood or has brought that person to mind or put you in that family. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what, what position he's asked you to, to take. I don't know how he's asked you to step into ministry. I don't know what person he wants you to share your faith with. I don't know what conversation you've been putting off. I don't know what you haven't attempted for God because you've lacked faith. But when we love him, we live in faith and we trust him and obedience takes care of itself. Faith equals obedience 
equals victory. And so what is God asking you to do in this next phase of life? What do you need to say, God, I've been putting that off? It may be something small like baptism, a simple, small step that, that's gonna shape the, the, the rest of your life and shape your response to obedience. It might be something like leading a group like we heard this morning, being an apprentice in a group. It might be starting a Bible study at work. It might be inviting your neighbors to church. It might be sharing faith with your parents that you've been putting off for 15 years. I don't know what that is, but what is God asking you to do and how can you live in faith and respond with obedience? You hear it said every week that we're a movement of people finding their way back to God. And so people always wonder, well, what's, what's next for Movement Church and, and where's this thing going? And I'll tell you what my, my heart is, honestly. I had a chance to sit down with some people last week who are new to Movement and talk to them. And, and my heart is just that we are the sum of our parts, that what's next for Movement Church is that we are obedient. How can we be obedient? One decision at a time. One person saying, I'm going to do what God asked me to do because I trust everything that he's ever told me. I trust that he is who he says he is. And one other person being obedient and a group of people being obedient and two best friends being obedient and a college student being obedient and a single dad being obedient and a, a couple who just got married and gave their lives to Jesus being obedient, a couple that's grown up in the church and been in movement church since the beginning, all of those people being obedient, we're the sum of our parts. And so if we wanna be a movement of people finding their way back to God, we have to let him chisel away and take away small pieces of us that are, that are rejecting his will and say, God, I trust you and I wanna follow you and I wanna be obedient. And so what's he calling you to do today? What is your part in shaping us? Your obedience may encourage someone else's obedience and your obedience may minister to someone else and your obedience might be the breakthrough for someone else. And so just like a terrible football team that's not doing their part, what do you need to do to make us successful? Husbands, some of you in the room are not being obedient. It's throwing off your whole family. They don't know what play has been called. They don't know what the blocking assignment is. They don't know if they can even make the run because you're throwing off the family. Some of you have been the, the problem in your family with your siblings, you're grown up and you don't even talk anymore and God's called you to something, called you to obedience and, and you're throwing off the whole system by not doing your assignment and not doing what you're supposed to do. What is God calling you to do that will be a breakthrough for everyone? What obedience is God calling you to that will allow the system, this group of people, the church, to function as it should? if you're not responding, if you're not doing that, is it because you don't trust God? Have faith that he is who he says he is. Be obedient to his call to love and experience and trust and know victory and be sent to the world in victory. What do we need to do to obey God today? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you for giving us your DNA and your name. Thank you for letting us be your adopted sons and daughters. Thank you for shaping us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for that call to love. God, I pray that, that we'll be a room full of people, a church full of people who trust you, who have faith, and who are obedient. God, it doesn't mean we won't be scared. It doesn't mean that the old us, the sinful part of us, the part that doesn't have faith won't be stressed or won't feel burdened, God, but I pray, pray that we will walk towards you and trust you and trust that you are who you say you are and you will do and accomplish what you say that you will do. 
Lord, help us to know that and rest in victory, rest in the victory of your finished work on the cross. Jesus, you gave your life for us, you changed us, and we can rest in that and know victory. Help us to not just say that, not just say we understand that, but to trust that and let it be lived out in our actions. God, help us to set a chain reaction in motion of obedience and of doing what you've asked us to do, God, because we love you and because we want to change the world for you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.